Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. Now, as some of you may remember from last year, we don't do one big show at the end of the season. What we do is several 10 to 15 minute season reviews with each of the guests that have been on this season. So up first, we have Dan Fitzpatrick talking about Arsenal season. Dan, you pipped rivals Tottenham to second place today, something that I'm far too familiar with. Uh, What's today been like and how would you review Arsenal's 2015-16 season on the whole? One, yeah, we did. Uh, two, it's today has been absolutely insane. Um, it just the way it happened. Not just the fact that we pipped Tottenham because we've done that before, but the fact that ev- no one thought it was going to happen, and the fact that Tottenham lost, you know, conceding five. I'm going to try and stay off this as much as possible because I like you. But um, Very kind. Uh, yeah, no, it was today was crazy, uh, and it was fun and Arteta kind of sort of scored on his final game technically it's an own goal but like we're gonna bribe a dubious goals panel so it's fine um yeah today was really nice the season overall could have been worse but it's definitely a it, it's got to go down as a failure considering Leicester over once won the title which sounds demeaning to them but like we're Arsenal, we would be expected to win the title when we finish above City, Chelsea, United, Tottenham, Liverpool, etc., etc., etc. And the fact that we only got 71 points after having such a good start to the season is not great. Um, we really fell apart in the... There, there are two little different collapses. Well, I guess they're not collapses if they're both little, but um, two little things that just ended our title hopes. Our little falter in early January when we we conceded the 96th or whatever minute equalizer to Joe Allen. Then we drew to Stoke. Then we lost to Chelsea. Then, I forget if there was a game in between or not, but then we drew nil-nil to Southampton when we had 11 shots on target. So that would have been um, nine points dropped out of, out of out of 12 or 15 available. And that that put a big dent in our title hopes. And then... That one week period where we fought after the Leicester win, we thought we were going to get back into the title race, like properly back in. We were within like two points at that point. Then lost away to United, lost at home to Swansea, drew away to Tottenham, and that was kind of where the season season ended. Especially, when, I think we lost to Watford a week or two later, going out of the FA Cup. But um, if you just look at it, we finished second. This is our highest league finish since 2004-2005. Highest league finish ever in the Emirates. And if you look at it just like that, it's not that bad. When you look at the fact that Leicester won the title, okay, it's probably a failure. Like, this was a good chance for us to win the league, and we didn't. Ultimately, we want to win the league, and we didn't. So you got to chalk it down at least partially failure. Yeah, it's... It's probably going to go down as a failure, but it could have gone a lot worse. Yeah, I think that's fair. If there, You mentioned some of the negative moments there. If there was a moment that you would say was your moment of the season for Arsenal, what would it be? Positive moment? Um, favorite moment in terms of hilarity and awesomeness is probably today. Favorite moment as in terms of like best performance and the proudest I've been of the team was either United at home or Bayern at home. And I'm going to go with Bayern at home because I like beating teams in Europe more than I do Premier League. Yeah, absolutely fair. And you were you were chasing the European hopes once yeah, and more. Yeah, and that was... it's it, it almost faded a bit because 
we went and we lost to Byron next week, and it was more like at that point everyone was focused on the Olympiacos game. But if we hadn't won that game against Byron, we're playing Europa League, and like we were not supposed to win that game against Byron, and we played like that wasn't a smash and grab like some of our other European games. Then that was a legitimate. We outplayed Bayern Munich, even with 30% of the ball. We outplayed them. We out we created better chances. We could have had three if Theo Walcott had scored that header that Neuer made, one of the best saves I've ever seen against. But we genuinely outplayed Bayern Munich, and that was one of the points where I was like, this is a very good team. We could do things. And then we didn't do things, so that sucks, but oh well. Yeah, um, we've already talked about how Utzel probably should have been in Team of the Year. Also, Dembele should have been in Team of the Year ahead of Ali, as we've witnessed here. Yeah. <laughs> the back yeah. end of the season. But if you were sticking to just Arsenal, who would you say was your player and young player of the season? Uh, players still got to be Ozil. Um, was it? Off the tweet, up the stat this week. Um, Ozil has created more chances, I think it was in any top five league, than any player since Opta. Apparently they started. They have some amount of data dating back to 1996, and he still smashes everyone. So that's uh, he's just he's been fantastic. Like he hasn't gotten the assists in the second half of the season, but that was always going to happen. Like that's how assists work. That's why. Oh, whole another thing for another podcast. It's like mesh comparing people with their number of assists isn't a great way of comparing players, but because it's so dependent on other players, it'll eventually go up and down and up and down and up and down a lot. Like says Fabregas did the same thing last season. Mm. Uh, young player of the year, and actually, it happens a lot if you look back through it. But young player of the year, Hector Bellerin. If the season was a couple months longer, it Awobi would have put in a good shout, but he was only a thing for the last... He played in the FA Cup, but he was only like a first-team, first-teamer for the last two or three months of the season, whereas Bayerin, I mean, he got in team of the year. He's been arguably the best right-back, if not the best right-back in the league this year, and he's only 20 years old. So and this is only his, his second season playing first-team football and his first full season because he didn't come in every week until i think december it was either late november or early december last year but he started playing like week in week out all right and uh <laughs> i told you before we started recording this this isn't a pointed question we ask it to everyone as the listeners can verify how confident are you in your manager heading into next season i'm more it's like i've said on the pod i'm more confident in him than i am in other available options I think Arsene Wenger's a good manager, and that's something that I think is lost in the whole finger in, finger out thing. Like, people go so far via, like, finger out that they seem to act like he's a bad manager. He's not. He's a good manager. It's just whether he's the guy to take us to the title. I think that's fairly up for debate. But looking at the manager options available, I think they're pretty crap. So I'm okay with sticking with him. Do I think he is absolutely the guy? To win us the title, I don't know. We'll see, but um, I don't know. It'd be interesting considering the big teams will be back next. Well, you would assume they'll be back next year, and the managerial talent in the Premier League is definitely the best that I've ever been following. Possibly the best in like my lifetime. It's stacked next year. It's absolutely stacked. Yeah, it'll it'll definitely be a tough one for sure. Uh, now we get to the big question for Arsenal which is where are you going to strengthen this summer? Obviously, people talked about how Petr Cech signing him was going to really help you in the title race, which it didn't seem that it had until the very last day um, of the season in terms of keeping you that close. You probably needed an outfield player or two. Which of those holes are you most likely and, and do you most need to fill this summer? 
Uh, defensive midfield, someone who can control the game more is absolutely my first priority. Um, my second priority has changed since Danny Welbeck. Uh, I joked about him being dead the entire first half of the season. Now he might actually be dead because he's had cartilage surgery in both of his knees within the year of each other. So that's... I, he genuinely could just be done at the top level, which is an absolute shame because he was really, really performed well when after he came back. But after his injury... That is shot striker up from, I had it third or fourth, depending on what you think of our center back on my list of priorities, to second, because uh, purely a numbers standpoint, we have Giroud and a half in Walcott, who might not even be in the Clapa club by the end of the transfer window. So that is something that needs strengthening. Uh, the options out there aren't great, but at this point, it's not a matter of, if we can find someone great, it's just a matter of we need somebody. It just depends how good they are. Then the other options for possible strengthens are um, a winger opposite Alexis Sanchez and another and a right-sided center back. I think we'll fill three of those positions at most. Wenger did just say today, or it was either today or yesterday, he, he expects three signings this summer. Uh, that is about what I've been expecting for a while. So I think we'll leave one position unfilled. I think striker will buy someone because we have to now. DM, it looks like Jocko's a thing. And it'll be interesting to see what that third signing would be. All right, fair enough. And now that we know which positions you'll fill, on to what you expect next year. With Manchester City this year, we saw them push all of their eggs into the Champions League basket, made it the furthest they ever had in that competition. You have that stat floating out there that Tottenham have been in the quarterfinals more recently than Arsenal in the Champions League. Had to get it in there because of what happened earlier. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that something you could see Arsenal doing? You've tried splitting the squad the last two seasons of trying to play your best players in both competitions, uh, You know, falling short of where a lot of people have had you in both. Do you think there's a potential for you to shift all of your eggs into one basket the way City did this year? If we're going to do it, I think it, we'd be shifting them into the league basket. But then again, I don't really see Wenger just f- putting the boat out in the Champions League, just not caring. So um, I don't think I do see that. I don't. I think he's going to try and compete on all fronts, especially since he does love the Champions League. And that's that's his big thing, actually. Wenger's never won the Champions League. But as, as much as I think it'd be interesting to see what would happen if we did push all the ranks in that basket... I don't think with a fan pressure and all, even if I don't think that should come into a lot of his thinking, I don't think with that pressure he can afford to just say, no, nah, I don't really, I'm not going to really go for the league and go for something else instead. All right, so if that isn't the case, what do you think Arsenal's objectives will be for next season? The objective is win the league. Whether that's going to happen or is what should be expected of happening, is up for debate. Depends on how Chelsea and City come back. Um, but the objective is going to be we win the league. That's just that's what the fans will want. That's what Arsene Wenger will want. That's what we want. That's the next step. We finished a season. Uh, <laughs> after the crazy events of today, we finished a league position higher each of the last three seasons, fourth and 13, 14, third in last season, second this season. The natural progression is we, we got to aim for the title. That's just where we got to aim for. Whether it's going to happen, I don't know, because City could be very good. They could not be so good, but they if, if I had to bet, I'd bet on them being good because Pep's great. Chelsea could be very good. They don't have any European football next year. And 
yeah, that's two teams with more resources and arguably better squads with that could finish ahead of us. And but Liverpool the objective is league threat if they that's if they that's lose also the true. Final. Actually, their numbers have looked their team performance, both eye test and numbers wise, have looked very good under Klopp. So that could be very interesting as well. All right, all excellent points from you. Do you have any parting thoughts for the season? Uh, it was real interesting. Um, whether it was fun is up for debate, but it was definitely interesting. Some good moments, um, some not so good moments, obviously, because we didn't do what we wanted to do. But um, yeah, it was real interesting. Right, you are. All right, well, thank yeah. you so much for, for joining us throughout the season, and I'm sure we'll be in touch soon uh, and during the Euros as well. Now with us on the line is Jim Knight, uh, Leicester City representative and resident very happy person from this season. Uh, Jim, we'll just start off with a season recap. What have you made of what many have deemed the fairy tale that was Leicester's season? Yeah, it's been incredible this year. Um, it still kind of hasn't sunk in. It's been a week or two since we won the title and I'm still not kind of over the whole fact that we're champions of England yet. Um, it was at the last home game where it kind of really sank in, where the the chants were going around the ground of, you know, champions of England. And it's kind of like, it takes something like that, I think, to really, to for the penny to drop, so to speak, in your head. Um, we've just been spectacular this year. It's been completely unexpected. And I think that's what's made it, uh, that's what made it so brilliant um, for neutrals and kind of Leicester fans in the sense that absolutely no one expected us to do anything other than barely avoid relegation this year, especially after we changed manager in the summer. You know, we did some transfer business, but there weren't a lot of big names coming in. We'd lost Cambiasso, who was really influential last year. The change of manager, obviously, is a huge kind of, you know, it's a punt at the end of the day. They, they sat the manager that got us into the league and kept us there for a manager who hadn't managed in England for a decade had had a really rough time with with Greece through no fault of his own really but you know has managed some big clubs in the past but not recently so it you know to have us come through in the way that we did and, and play so well and just be better than the sum of our parts to such a huge degree was incredible yeah if there was one particular moment obviously a year of absolute brilliance on your part but if there was a moment of the season for Leicester what would you say it was um it's difficult because, as you say, there were so many. Like the and the fact that we didn't win the title off our own back. Like if we'd have won at Manchester United a couple of weeks ago, that probably would have been it. Whoever would have scored that goal. But um, for me, like the there were kind of I'm going to have to try and cheat and do two. Like one personal person moment and one kind of team moment. One was um, when Jamie Vardy broke the record for the most consecutive games to score in the Premier League. Um, broke Ruud van Nistelrooy's record of 10 with a, a kind of amazing textbook Leicester goal of a quick break, a no-look through ball from Christian Fuchs, who's been absolutely spectacular this year, um, and, and smashed it past the best goalkeeper in the league. Um, but also in January, when uh, or early February, sorry, when we went to Manchester City, um, and everyone thought that that period would be where we would um, lose momentum. We hadn't played the quote-unquote bigger teams away from home until that point. And we went to uh, to the Etihad and dismantled Manchester City, who, although looking at it now, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of still in the scrap for top four. But at the time, everyone thought they were the team that could put a few wins together and come from where they were at that point um, to win the title. And everyone was still considering them to be favourites because of how badly Chelsea were doing. So going there and Mares kind of shimmying past two players on the edge of the area and smashing it past Joe Hart, 
um, to put us two up was kind of that moment where it dawned on you to say, this is actually real, this is actually happening. And I think that was the first time that we'd have, we went favourites for the title with the bookmakers. So, you know, it was one of those where it, that, that was the real watershed moment where we thought, actually, do you know what, we can we can do this. It still might be a long way off, but if we keep playing to this this level, there's no reason, you know, we can't finish top of the league. Yeah, any chance that you will drop off here towards the end of the season? <laughs> I don't know. We, we might phone it in on the last game of the season, but given how well we played against um, Everton, um, and, and granted Everton are a shambolic side, um, you know, who've since lost 3-0 to Sunderland. So actually beating them 3-1 makes us worse than Sunderland who have just escaped relegation. <laughs> um, so I don't know how that that probably makes Sunderland champions in the grand scheme of the kind of weird and wonderful world that is English football. But um, so it, maybe that's not the best barometer to judge how well we're taking this kind of end of the season. But the performance was amazing. Um, and we just, we, you know, on another day, I think that was the most shots we'd had in a game. I think we had 33 shots that day. Mm. Um, so on another day, it could have been five or six easily. Um, Joel Robles had a pretty good game. Jamie Vardy missed a penalty, of course, mm. um, at 3-0. So, you know, hopefully we can go to we can go to, uh, to Chelsea at the end of the season. And John Terry will be there with his suit on, with his full Chelsea kit and shin pads on underneath. And, <laughs> right um, on the pitch, give, grab the trophy. Yeah, give us yeah. a guard of honour and then we can... Um, we can yeah, just just celebrate in style, and the the two thousand three thousand Leicester fans that are going to be down there is going to have a good time, I'm sure, in Southwest London. Yeah, the the Terry jokes aside, it is pretty cool that the old champions will be playing the new champions on the final day. Yeah, there's something and weirdly poetic ma- about that. Managed by the man that they deemed not good enough <laughs> right. at the start of the Abraham Ridge era, and they kind of binned off for a, a quote unquote bigger name. So for him to come back, kind of what twelve years later, and um, and do what he did, you know, with a team that, that no one thought would do anything is, is is the ultimate kind of poetic justice, really, for a team that spent their way to quite a few titles in the last last kind of decade and a bit. Yeah, and at the uh, Spurs match where we drew, which won you the title, there were plenty of signs about Ranieri around the ground. So I don't think they're going to be particularly uh, antagonistic in that final match. What positions do you need to strengthen in the offseason? Um, we definitely need another striker, um, at least one, if not two, uh, because I don't think Andre Kramrich will get back into the club um, in any great capacity, given how kind of badly his signing's gone and the fact that he spent the last six months on loan at Hoffenheim. Um, so I don't think Shinji Okazaki's up to Champions League football. Um, and I don't think he's the ideal strike partner for Jamie Vardy. He's not clinical enough. So... My my issue with him, um, you know, is is no secret. I've said it a few times. He's fantastic. His work rate is absolutely brilliant, but he's just not clinical enough. If you're if 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 the chance is going to fall to him ten yards out against I don't know Real Madrid in a in a Champions League group stage match, and it could be the difference between you going to the last sixteen or potentially dropping out of the competition altogether, then I don't think you'd he's necessarily the man you want in that situation. Um, it'll be fantastic to see how Vardy features in that. You know, it's a whole new level for him and he'll have been to the Euros with England this summer, hopefully as well. So he'll be brimming full of confidence, I'm sure. Um, other than that, I don't know. It's difficult. We probably, the defence is, is, is an amazing unit, but it's not a young unit. Um, if you look at Danny Simpson, you know, Wes Morgan, Robert Huth and Christian Fuchs. Fuchs is probably the one that you say kind of keeps his position no matter what. 
Wes probably does because he's captain. But other than that, you could legitimately see a new right-back slotting in um, and potentially another centre-back as well. They're all kind of getting towards the 30 mark, if not the wrong side of 30 in um, Huth and Morgan's case. So that that's probably kind of one area of strengthening. And then I guess the only other areas could be if we don't manage to hold on to players like N'Golo Kante, like Riyad Mahrez. Um so it all depends kind of on the outgoings as much as anything, really. I think it's just strength and depth. We need to make sure we've got two good players in every position. That's a bit of a cliche, but if you're going to be playing twice a week plus domestic competitions, you really do need to have that strength and depth in your squad. Yeah, you raised some interesting points there uh, with the depth in the multiple competitions. Obviously, Leicester fell out of the competitions outside the Premier League relatively early this season. How do you think Ranieri will handle the two competitions? Do you think you'll have two full 11s that you'll rotate? Do you think you'll kind of half and half it the way Arsenal have in years past? What do you think your approach will be to both competitions? I think this year, we'll, I think it will be half and half again. Not half and half, sorry. I think it'll be two very distinct squads. Um, I think you'll have a Champions League and a Premier League squad. And then I think you'll have a Capital One Cup and an FA Cup squad who will be made up of fringe players and players who are fighting for their place, potentially. Like, that's how we viewed it, the early rounds of the Capital One Cup, where we did okay this year. Um, we used it as basically a, a blooding exercise for young players, combined with players like Gokhan Inla, who didn't work out very well, and um, Christian Fuchs, who bizarrely worked out fantastically well. Um, so, you know, he got his opportunity to show that he deserved to be starting at left-back instead of Jeff Schlupp. Um, Danny Simpson got his opportunity to show that he needed to be starting at right back instead of Richard Delat. and that, but you know both those players have cemented those places and kept them for the rest of the season. So much so that Richard Delat got loaned out because he needed to be playing every week, and has subsequently got um, another another medal with with Middlesbrough as well. So I think that will be the way that we view it, especially if we're going to be expanding the squad. Um, it's still one of the smallest in the Premier League. So if you're going to start adding seven or eight more players into that, you need competitions to keep those players you know, fighting and hungry um, for first-team places and that healthy competition that goes with it. But I think you'll have two very set kind of established squads, if you like, to pick from. All right, so now we know what you need to strengthen, how you think you're going to utilise them. Uh, I guess the big question is, what will your objectives be next year in both the league and the Champions League? I see the Champions League as a bit of a free shot, to be honest. If we get out of the group, fantastic. If we don't, then it's it's not a problem. Uh, dropping into the Europa League would be fine by me. I don't think we'd view it, you know, with any kind of contempt, especially because there's a Champions League place on offer to the winner now. So I can kind of see us approaching it in the same way that the English clubs have more recently, mm. rather than treating it with that um, kind of, you know, second class competition that it used to be, where you get a load of youngsters fielded at every opportunity just because players didn't want to be playing Thursday night and then Sunday afternoon. So um, I think that's a bit of a free shot, what the European competitions, however they go. And the Premier League, hopefully, you know, we can scale back our optimism a little bit to not feel let down with our performances if we finish, say, 10th, um, especially given the extra kind of um, issues that we're going to be having with with playing a bit more regularly. So whereas this year we had seven days to prepare for every single game, a lot of the teams we were playing, you know, only had two or three, and that involved the flight back from Central Europe somewhere. So we're, the shoe's going to be on the other foot next year, and we're not going to retain the title. I don't think uh, it would be fantastic if we did. You're not going to hear me moaning if we do, but 
it's it's more kind of it's realistic ambition rather than fairy tale. That's exactly what it's been. It's been a fairy tale, and lightning, you know, in all likelihood can't strike twice. So, I think another solid kind of season. Hopefully, avoid any relegation battles. Just kind of get that secured, um, which I can't see as struggling if even with Europe, if we manage to keep the majority of the squad together. Um, so just consolidation, get ourselves, you know, and have fun in Europe, really. Just kind of enjoy the experience because it's certainly not going to be taken for granted and complacent like some other clubs might have it now. You know, Arsenal get fourth every year and they just think, oh, we've got another few trips in Europe, blah, 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 we should be winning it. That's certainly not the approach Leicester are going to have. We're going to be enjoying it for the party that it is. And it's just going to be, you know, even through the Community Shield and stuff at Wembley in a few months' time, it's just going to be extending that title party, really, right through the next nine months, you know, as long as we're still kind of playing decent football. Yeah, and uh, to wrap up the season, any uh, last thoughts? No, I just, I still actually can't believe we've won the league. It's fantastic, but I just need to... They need to let it sink in over the summer. England's inevitable second round exit in the Euros will probably remind me what kind of optimism and pessimism usually does to you um, going into major tournaments and then we can get G'd up again for the new season. All right. Well, thanks for coming on all season. It's been a pleasure. All right. And now joining us is Jay of theeaglesbeak.com. Jay, what did you make of Crystal Palace's 2015-16 season? Hi, Kev. Um, yeah, it's... It's clearly a season of two halves, it really is. Um, 2015 was fantastic, absolutely great. We started the season well. We're even challenging the top four, believe it or not. Um, as a Palace fan, it's it's quite an odd one, really. So I think last summer, we, after finishing 10th in the table, we kind of wondered, you know, where does a club like Palace go from from that, you know, that finishing position? And, um, you know, how, um, how positive are the club going to be and the management going to be going into a new season? Uh, what are our aims and what are our achievements going to be? So... There's always a little bit of question mark. And then we went and signed Johan Kabay in the summer. Fantastic signing, real marquee signing for us, actually, to kind of show the owners, club and management, you know, intent going into the new season, which really gave us, Palace fans, a lift and, and the real feeling that we're going to, you know, push for that next kind of stage in, in kind of, the, you know, the club's uh, evolution in a way. And we started pretty well, actually. We, we you know, for, between August and sort of the end of November, uh, like I mentioned, we were pushing top four, top three, even at one point. I think we were, well, after one weekend's round of games, we were second in the table, which, you know, is fantastic. And as for, you know, Palace fans, we're used to starting the season slowly, starting in the lower part of the, starting, you know, get a few losses or finding our feet, um, like we have done the last couple of seasons. So it's quite kind of a different feeling to be to be up that end of the table. Um, then we started having a few injuries. You know, we had some great wins at Chelsea away which obviously isn't as big a win away from home as as it has been in past seasons but obviously that you know for us early in the season against the champions that was a fantastic result Liverpool won again you know it's a side we often get wins against uh, away from home um any Liverpool fans listening they will know exactly what I mean um and then we started getting a few injuries. We we lost both our fullbacks at the same time. Um, any any club that loses both their fullbacks will, will probably struggle to to fill those positions with like for like players. And it kind of got worse from that point on. We kind of limped through to the end of the year, December, um, and we kind of finished the year on I think it was thirty one points, which. To be fair, for a club like us, that was a fantastic achievement. Probably the highest we've ever done in the Premier League uh, at that stage this season. Um, little did we know how the second half of the season was going to go, um, because that was pretty much, um, you know, considering we finished on um, today, I think we finished on 42 points. Um, we only got 11 more points from then until the end of the season. And 2016 was 
horrific, um, to say the least. Injuries, loss of form, real combination of different things. But I think one of the biggest things is that Pardew has suffered this kind of run at every club he's been to, which is really rather odd. Um, it was a run of form that we just couldn't get out of. However, in the FA Cup, we were still winning games. We were playing... Yeah, we, we did it the hard way. I mean, we're, we're sitting here after the end of the season. You know, we've got the FA Cup final to look forward to next weekend against Manchester United, but we ha- we've had to do it the hard way. We've played four Premier League teams in the FA Cup. We've beaten all four of those teams at, at a time where we couldn't beat Premier League teams in the Premier League, which is very bizarre. Um, there is a conspiracy theory that perhaps we got to the end of, end of 2015, got to the 31-point barrier and thought, right, we'll be all right for the rest of the season, picking up points here and there. Let's focus on the FA Cup. I can't believe that will be something that a club would do, you know, perhaps, you know, focus a little bit more on the FA Cup, maybe. I don't know. Um, like I say, it's only a conspiracy theory. But um, I think one of our biggest problems was that we lost Yannick Bellassi in uh, mid-December, which was our last win in the Premier League for three months I think it was it turned out to be uh, away at Stoke great win great last minute goal well 88th minute stunner from Chan Yong Lee um, but the Yannick Bellassi got injured in the uh, in the celebrations uh, and he faced six weeks out and it really showed to us how important he is to to our uh, you know to to our formation uh, Wilfred Zaha was excellent during that period he's, he's had a really good season um, and he kind of um, came came into his own kind of that period because they do play off each other well, both Yannick and uh, and Wilf, um, you know, marauding runs down down each wing, um, really, you know, you know, getting the better of the fullbacks they play week in week out. But there was a lot more onus on Wilf to kind of do that alone and, and him to be the real outlet for Palace, and he and he stepped up to the mark really well actually, and uh, and and has had a good season, but. Then we lost James MacArthur, who was a, another significant miss for us. Missed, um, I think it's six to eight weeks for an injury, and he's a massive player for us. And I think uh, if it wasn't for his injury, he would be my player of the season. To be fair, he, he's had such a good season. Does all the, you know, the dirty jobs. You know, without you seeing it, he gets on with it. Box to box midfielder. You know, he's on one goal on defending a corner, and then on the break, he's at the other end. You know, having a shot on goal. Where it's just the kind of player he is. He was sorely missed. But uh, another player, Connor Wickham. It sounds like I'm making excuses here, but you know, for a club like Palace, you can't. Um, we we can't replace first team players like for like in terms of quality. Um, you know, when you have these players injured, and you know, there's three players I mentioned there. Connor Wickham, he's had three spells out injured, one spell out suspended. His season has been stop start, stop start. But when he has played, he's really played a vital role for us. Scored goals um, towards the end of the season, um, and then he got injured again. I think he got two at Sunderland, um, which was a real shame. You know, the formation that we play really fits with him in that lone striker role, and we didn't really have that lone striker uh, to replace him until we brought Adebayor in in January who kind of gave us a little bit of impetus, but he hasn't really had the impact that a lot hoped he would. Um, but there is a lot of suggestion that he's had a good impact on the training ground. Wilf Zaha came out and said very similar after he scored the winner in the FA Cup against Stoke. Um, but we, we managed to kind of limp through to the end of the season. We've picked up a few um, results in April, which thankfully kept us away from that, bizarrely enough, the bottom three relegation scrap. Um, you know, just just kept our heads above water. Um, disappointed loss today in the final game of the season, but I think, you know, clearly we've got one eye on the semi-final next weekend and I think there's a big view that 
after Joe Ledley broke his leg last week in the Stoke game, there's always that worry that something else is going to happen in the last game of the season against Southampton. Southampton obviously needed that win more than we did. Uh, you know, Palace are safe, not really going to move too much in the, in the Premier League if we get a win. Um, and hence, you know, that was reflected in the starting line of Palace. So overall, league season is probably something, you know, a little bit forgettable, but I think most of our memories come from that first half of the season up to the end of uh, 2015 where we had some great performances um, at home to Newcastle United was one. We beat them 5-1 at home. Yeah, Newcastle went down, but that was you know almost a perfect performance from us. A few other performances in there as well. But um, it's an odd one because, like I say, we're used to starting the season slowly and working our way up as we have done the last two Premier League seasons. I haven't ever known a season like it for injuries. I don't know what the reasons for that is, whether it's just been unlucky this season or whether there's something to do with the training regime or, or you know, kind of the health care around the club or whichever, but something needs to be looked at. And that was, I think parties alluded to something very similar as well. Uh, whether it's a training pitch, you know, I don't know whether that's the case, but um what did happen last summer was that our, our pitch at Sellers Park was moved to the training ground. Whether that's got anything to do with whether that hasn't bedded down properly, I don't know, but uh, I'm not an expert in that sort of area. So um, hopefully next season we can have a better run of injuries. But I think if you would have said to many, any Palace fans at the start of the season, you were going to finish 15th in the league, um, but get to the FA Cup final with a shot of winning the cup, then I think 99% of the fans would have taken it, as would I. Yeah, so if it all came down to one moment that was your best moment of the season as a Palace fan, what would it be? Oh, good question. I, I think I think we've had a lot of good moments, regardless of our um, second half of the season. There hasn't been many good moments in that second half of the season, but our FA Cup run has been fantastic. I mentioned uh, the almost perfect performance against Newcastle United at home, actually. I mentioned Newcastle had gone down, but... You know, we we Connor Wickham played that perfect role in that game. Didn't did score a goal, but I think he had four assists in that game, and all five goals were scored by midfielders, which is says a lot about how our formation is and how our how our lineup is. And it, we even went a goal down after about ten minutes in that game as well, uh, which is crazy to think. Also, had a great win at home against Southampton. Um, another good performance against a very good side, and they've obviously finished. Um, well, as we speak at the moment, um, fifth in the table. Um, so that was another good result. Chelsea away as well, Liverpool away. All those before the end of uh, 2015 were excellent wins. Um, but for me, I think um, you know one of our best performances has to be the semi-final um, against Watford in the FA Cup. I think anything can happen in a semi-final. Watford have you know have done well this season. Come up from the uh, from the Championship, perform well in the Premier League, um, perhaps more better than expected. I think Bournemouth have got a lot of plaudits this season, but Watford haven't really had been given them. They've kind of faltered you know, as the season uh, kind of uh, fades away. But um, but for me, I think you know the big occasion, the big event. Um, semi-final with uh, at Wembley with uh, you know with a chance in the uh, you know to go to the FA Cup final, I think that's kind of been pivotal of our season, particularly when the second half of the season has been so horrific. All right, and uh, weirdly, before we get into kind of next year questions, we have to do a match preview, kind of, since you do have a final still to come. Uh, what are you looking forward to in that match? Well, it's the FA Cup final, isn't it? I mean, not many clubs actually get the chance to go to the FA Cup final. Yeah, it's normally the top five or six sides um, have the opportunity as, you know, United are in there. They're, they're used to playing in finals. Probably not so no, so recently as uh, as they have done. But um, 
you know, for Palace, I mean, it's it's almost 26 years ago um, since we last appeared in the FA Cup final. I still remember it now myself being at Wembley. Uh, to, you know, it's a replay. It's so many similarities uh, between the you know the two games, even even that far apart. It's crazy. Um, you know, we're looking at 1990. Alex Ferguson was on the verge of being sacked if he hadn't won that game. That is a well known fact. Um, obviously, they they beat us in the replay one nil, and and there was the uh, United legacy. Um, so you can blame us for that. So uh, you know, apologies to every other you know non United fan out there. As for the game, I think uh, you know it's a one off game. Um, it's going to go to extra time penalties if you know if there's no uh, no clear winner. So we can look forward to an afternoon or an evening as it is. Cause I think it's five thirty kickoff here, uh, just to uh, just to appease the rest of the world. So I hope you're uh, hope you're happy, Kev, to you know get to see that at a decent time. But um, yeah, it's a one off game. Anything can happen in a, in a one off game, as we know the season. <laughs> Such a crazy season it's been. Um, for me, I think you know United are not that great at the back, and we have the players that can. You know, potentially hurt them. Um, whereas they have very similar up front. Martial, I think, is the main player that we've got to be aware of because on his day, you know, very good player, very skillful, knows where the back of the net is. That's that's a player that I think uh, you know we're going to have to be concerned about. But for Palace, we are we have plenty in our locker um, on our day to, um, to to worry them. The main one is Will Saha playing against a team that he had a real bad time at. In uh, you know at Old Trafford's, I think it was six months or so, and it's taken him a while to get back to anything near his best. And thankfully, we're seeing that now. Um, back to very similar to the time he had at Palace before we left for United, before we sold him to them. And um, it's great, really great to see. And he's missed the last couple of games for injury, so hopefully he'll be fully refreshed and, and raring to go. I mean, who wouldn't be raring to go in the FA Cup final? I mean, you know, this is this is a massive match for for a club like Palace, absolutely huge. Um, on the flip side. Zaha, you've got Balassi on the other side. Again, he's a player that you just don't know what to expect from him. I don't know if he knows what he does week in, week out. Sometimes we certainly don't. Um, and if you're if you're a defender playing up against him, you know it's so difficult to 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 know how to how to you know defend against him. But uh, but the main one for me, I think Johan Gabay can be a real uh, real influence in this game for us. It's been a lot of questions from Palace fans about how how he's performed this year. For me, he just exudes class. I mean, on the ball, he impresses me the way that he lets the ball do the work, lets the ball roll across the front of him, you know, while he's looking to pick out that pass and then does what he needs to do, rather than some players actually, you know, make it difficult for themselves by actually moving the ball different direction when they don't really, you know, potentially need to. Um, So he's, you know, very good on the ball, um, defensively minded, brilliant, um, so he's been, you know, while we struggled this second half of the season, he's had injuries, he's had knocks, um, but he's still been very good from my perspective and um, exactly what I was kind of hoping from him um, during the season. Expected a few more, um, a couple more goals here and there, but, you know, can't really complain too much about that. I'm just hoping that he's going to have a major influence in the cup final, but there's no underestimating how big this game is for Palace. Um, you know, it's been a long time since, you know, our first ever appearance in the FA Cup final. Um, we've got unfinished business against United, so hopefully we can uh, we can edge this one and um, end the season on a triumphant note. Yeah, and from a podcast perspective, when we talked about Crystal Palace uh, landing one of those uh, European spots, if you win <laughs> this, you will have done that, and uh, we don't even have to talk about that whole second half of the season. Well, yeah, we're trying to forget it ourselves, actually, the second half of the season. But, you know, we've gone through the pain of that. Um, I think what I didn't mention is the fact that if 
you know, if, if anybody had said to a Palace fan before the start of the season, you'd finish 15th and you're playing the FA Cup final, I think most would have bitten your hands off at that, 99% of them, uh, at least including me. So um, I think if you ask any other, any of the 15 teams from, you know, um, fifth downwards, I think they would probably most say the same. Yeah, very hard to disagree there. All right, well, now we're going to jump ahead a little bit. Uh, we'll pretend that your season is entirely over, which, of course, it's not, and ask you about Alan Pardew. Obviously, he was getting a lot of praise in the first half of the season, talks about the England job, second half not as great as we just mentioned. What's your take on Pardew's season as your manager, and are you comfortable heading into next year uh, with him as your manager? It's a tough one. It was all... You know, smelling the roses, uh, you know, until the end of 2015 really was, you know, we were playing really well. The squad of players that he'd put together, uh, well, I, I say squad of players he'd put together, he'd, he'd inherited like 80% of those anyway, but you've still got to use them in the right way. Um, as I mentioned, the first half of the season was great. Um, everything was fine. Then the injury started and then that terrible run of form, which has followed Padre every club has been to, oddly enough. Um, and it's, And we found it, quite difficult to get out of um, he's tried a few different things um, but when you've only got a squad of players such as you have at Palace it's a different talent pool isn't it effectively is when you class it to the talent pool that a squad of players at United has or a Liverpool has and I'm just not making excuses it's just a fact of life that you know we're not going to have that light for light replacement for players that do get injured but not disguising the fact that Pardew perhaps does have a little bit more um, Bit more, bit more time at Palace. You know, being a former Palace player, um, obviously well thought of by the fans. Is a few other managers probably would have been sacked after after that poor run of form. Uh, maybe the FA Cup run has papered over the cracks a little bit, but um, I think sometimes you've got to be as a fan, you've got to live for the now and kind of think. You know, cause I've seen a lot of tweets about Palace fans talking about next season and what's got to happen in the summer. We've still got FA Cup finals come yet. You know, this FA Cup final doesn't come around every year for a club like Palace. So I think you've just got to enjoy what you've got for the moment and then, you know, let let the summer take its course and next season. I do think, though, that if Pardew or, or, or the club experience another run of form, anything similar to getting into what we've had in 2016, he'd be lucky to last that, uh, really, because, you know, while, while he w- was a former player, well thought of by the club, there's only so long that that can last for, isn't it? So um, there is a little bit of a question mark about Pardew's position at the club. Some people don't want him to stay, which is, you know, their prerogative. Um, there have been a few, you know, things this season where, you know, it's, it's right to question the manager um, and the players. Um, but getting to a cup final, like I say, it's 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 a huge occasion for us. Uh, massive occasion. Doesn't come around every season. I think Pardew's deserved the summer. Um, to make some changes. He's still got some kind of deadwood players around that he needs to get rid of, which he's inherited from the former regime. And even the regime before that, there's still a few players around. So players that still clearly aren't going to get anywhere near the first team. And when they are called upon, they don't really do uh, what you would expect them to do. So um, uh, it's a big summer ahead, I think. And I would hope that Pardew would get at least a 10 or 15 games next season and see how that pans out. Um, But if there's anything relating similar to, to this horrific run of form that we've had this so far this year then um then perhaps a change will be made but um it would be a shame because i'm i'm a big advocate of um consistency and and, and keep you know giving giving people a chance in a management role but it doesn't seem to be 
the case these days. Everything seems to be for the now. Um, so if you know results aren't right after three or four games, then sometimes you know clubs do get rid of their managers, which is a little bit unfortunate because I think you just do need to think about a longer term a little bit, which hopefully that's what Palace has done for this season. Stuck with them, given them a chance, uh, give them the summer, and we can kick on uh, you know, for the start of next season at least anyway. All right, and if you were to make some uh, moves in the summer to bolster that squad to have a better chance, the challenge on both fronts, assuming that you're in the Europa League, uh, what positions do you think most need to be addressed within your squad? I think some Palace fans listening to this might be waiting with bated breath who I'm going to mention or, or which position, but for me... The goalkeeper position has been a real problem for us this season. It seems like every game, every other game, there's been a question mark about whoever's in goal. I don't think there was a real clear starter for the season uh, in Pardew's eyes. He signed Alex McCarthy last summer from QPR. Good keeper, um, but he made a few mistakes and he was dropped. Um, and then Wayne Hennessy came in. He made a few mistakes and wasn't dropped. Um, it's just been a, a season of goalkeeper errors uh, there's another one today Julian Speroni played for uh, in the game against Southampton today uh, he equaled the club record for goalkeeping appearances which is which is fantastic but he made an absolute howler for the uh, for one of the Southampton goals which is unfortunate but kind of sums up our season um, for that position um, for me I'd like to see us go to Newcastle and get uh, cruel um, because he hasn't played this season hopefully he's going to be fighting fit for next season Obviously, can't lay the blame at his door for their their terrible season and relegation to Championship. Maybe he's going to be looking to stay, but obviously that Pardew link there, uh, whether Newcastle will let you know a, a keeper of his quality go or not, I'm not sure. Um, but for me, he'd be one I'd be you know p- potentially looking at uh, bringing in um, because while we have three keepers on the books, you know a few three decent keepers, but I think we need somebody that's going to command. Um, that that position, um, which clearly hasn't been the case with Hennessy, it's even been a case where the defence haven't looked comfortable with him playing behind them, which which is a big concern for us. I mean, some some games Scott Dan's look flat, you know, look flappable, which is uh, you know the second half of the season, which has been incredible, cons- con- you know, considering how assertive he normally is, um, which is a real shame. Other position striker, I think we need to we need to look at because we sorely miss goals at certain stages of the season. Wickham is 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 that main man for us, really. But can he stay fit? That's his biggest problem. It always has been his problem. Uh, when he stayed fit at Sunderland, they seem to play him out wide, which which isn't his position at all. Uh, I'm not expecting us to keep Adeboyor, give him another contract. I don't think he's added quite what we were expecting. I think that was just to fill a gap um, because we couldn't bring anything, anybody else in towards the end of January. Uh, but he's he's filled that gap. You know, he's he's done okay. Uh, for what I hear, he's, uh, he's, he's you know, had his impact on training ground, which you know, which I'm fine with. But I think we need um, reinforcements in that area, particularly if we let the players like Fraser Campbell go. Um, Dwight Gale signed a new contract, and obviously his recent form, two goals in Stoke last weekend, has obviously gone in his favour. Um, but we must kind of get out of that trying to play Dwight Gale as a lone striker because he that's not his role. You know, he played well against Stoke because he played with Conor Wickham up front and they and they formed a good partnership together. So I think the two main positions are striker and goalkeeper. Um, but I wouldn't mind seeing some reinforcements coming in to improve the midfield as well. We've got a decent midfield, um, but no harm in, you know, improving your squad really by improving what you've got in the first team and making those first team players battle their, for their places a little bit more. 
Yeah, and uh, in this show last year, I, I was one of the many people saying you should go for Charlie Austin, and I was telling Jay before we started recording, <laughs> uh, my shout this year is Alexandru Maxim uh, to come mm-hmm. in from Stuttgart and then uh, maybe push punch into a wing, maybe to the bench, give you a deeper squad like that. Um, but anyway, just thought show. I should get that uh, out there in public. Um, so when it doesn't happen, everyone can point and laugh at me. Um, <laughs> all right. So we're going to wrap it up with what do you think Crystal Palace's expectations and objectives will be for the Premier League season 2016-17? Well, I think the main one is to not have a run of form as bad as 2016 has been. It's not I mean, I can't go through that again. Um, uh, to be honest, Pardew can't go for that again if he wants to keep his job at Palace. I, I think that's that's the crux of the matter. Um, I mentioned at the start of the uh, in a recording that you know what 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 do Palace fans expect from a club? Um, we've seen how competitive a league season is this year. You know the likes of Southampton finishing fifth; they're a good team to emulate. Swansea have done it in previous years, but obviously they've fallen away this year. So there always that there is always that concern that you know while you're trying to or striving to continue to evolve. You know, you can't. You sometimes need to take a step back to to take two forward in a way. So, um, Stoke again have had a poor run of form towards the end of the season, but they've still finished ninth in the table. Just proves how competitive the division is. So, ultimately, to stay in the Premier League. I mean, this is our fourth campaign in a row in the Premier League, which which is fantastic. Um, I think we you know we'd have been happy one or two seasons when we first came up, but we have evolved into the team we are now, and you know we're we're cut finalists as I mentioned again, um, but we do need to evolve in the Premier League next season. So first things first, survive in the Premier League. That's always going to be the mainstay, particularly after this season and how close we went towards the end of the season to that bottom three. Um, but ideally, I'd like us to focus on a top ten finish because you know first season of Premier League. Um, Eleventh uh, finish, uh, f- first season back, we finished eleventh. Uh, a late run into the, you know, into that, into that position. Then tenth last season, you know, a little bit dropped to fifteenth, but kind of concede that because we're in the cup final. So hopefully we can try and get back on track in the Premier League next season, and uh, and aim for a top ten finish because I think, you know, with a few tweaks to the squad here and there, we're we're capable of doing it as we showed in the first half of the season. But let's try and have a more consistent season next season. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on throughout the season, and we look forward to speaking again when the Euros come around. Pleasure, yeah. Looking forward to the Euros, obviously. Um, we get the cut final away, then we can concentrate on the Euros a little bit. Uh, but yeah, thanks for having me on. It's great being on the pod, and uh, uh, it's great the listeners uh, you know, commenting and, uh, and joining in as well. That is it for today's show. Thanks so much to our guests. And if you'd like to follow them on Twitter, you can find Jim Knight, our Leicester fan, at Jim Knight 88 J our Crystal Palace representative at the Eagles Beak, and Dan, the Arsenal fan, at the underscore jersey underscore fits. We will be releasing more reviews over the next few days, so we hope you keep listening. 